Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. questioning a lot of things around Jesus. The only thing that still made sense was like, I still believe Jesus was a historical person who really died, who really rose again. Like there were times in my rethinking that that was the only thing I could anchor myself to. And it pushed me through a lot of different things that I was considering. So Jamie, what do you, what do you think that is? What is that phenomena of like noticing a chip of paint? on the second story of a building and all of a sudden we're questioning the very cornerstone. I think it's self-awareness on, on some level, like knowing where we are and how we got here is so important because think about this. I, I read a book by Diana Butler Bass talking about the end of Christianity as I don't personally learn from women. So I'm just going to remove myself from, (laughs) I'm going to remove myself from this conversation. That's hilarious. Well, here we go. I'm going to throw it. What's even funnier. What's even funnier (laughs) than that is I, there was a time in my life where I was at that place, but go ahead. Yeah. And you came by that. Honestly, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't know if it's possible for anyone to not deconstruct. I'm just going to put that out there. I think everyone in some way, shape or form has or is doing some kind of deconstruction because you can't walk into the faith. You can't walk into a church and only experience objective truth and reality. (laughs) Like you're dealing with people, you're dealing with traditions, you're dealing with ages upon ages of development and thinking and practice. And it's, it's changed throughout the years so much. Like the incarnation was hardly like something anyone was aware of in the old Testament. (laughs) Like it's such a new concept when Jesus comes, Um, they had to grow along with it. So there's a self-awareness of saying, okay, for example, Diana Butler Bass, She makes the point that, hey, the way denominations work today is about 100 years old. (laughs) Think about that. Like, and the way she says it, I'll, I'll say exactly how she says it, because these are her words. Most churches did not even think of themselves as part of denominations until well into the 19th century. There was nothing centralized. There were no headquarters there. There was not like this line you had to tow. Um, the Roman Catholic church was its own kind of thing. And then all the way the Protestant churches developed, like, sure, lots of stuff going on, but the way we legitimize what is church and what is true belief in God today and why, like the way that we answer those questions, we essentially are making a lot of assumptions about traditions that when you look at them, they're not that old. Hmm. They're definitely not as old as the scriptures. And they're definitely not as old as this idea that there's a God who made everything and delights in everyone. So to me, in answering your question, I think so much of it starts in just 
being honest about what we know and what we don't know and how we got what we have and how we got what we have is about as confusing a story as you're going to (laughs) find just just talk and and stop me if you don't want to go here but like just the way that we got our bible like the heritage of our scriptures is a wild story and I love it. It's crazy. It's beautiful, but it also is alarming. (laughs) You know, one of the things that started the conversation for me dealing with women in ministry, like I mentioned, was realizing like, you know, you take your hermeneutics class at Moody and they're like, so the author, the authorial intent, right? I was like, okay, so inerrancy has to include the human author writing with an agenda, right? Like they all wrote, like the four gospels are so different, different perspectives of the same guy and the same different orders. Yeah, all kinds of things. Um, And they're not perfectly aligned, right? Like not everything just works out easily. And so if the authors had that much influence on the text that we have, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean for us? And I just share that to say like, that was an honest question that in some circles was not safe to ask. Right. Totally. But it was true. And it rattles the cage of fundamentalist ways of thinking. And whether you're conservative or liberal, like, doesn't matter. It's the fundamental, fundamentalist approach of saying, like, this is it. If you don't stand on this, like, and especially if that this isn't about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that he's offered us. There's a couple of things that are going on in my brain. One is just a caution to I think maybe like leaders or people who have influence who are listening to this. If you start to read certain blogs and certain camps, they're going to treat all deconstruction the same. They're labeling it all the same and they're throwing it into a junk drawer of bad. And what they're going to do is they're going to feel like they need to like fix again. I'm not saying all deconstruction is good. It's not all created the same. And I think there are some very silly reasons and some non-honest, culturally influenced ways that people are deconstructing. So I think that there's a caution. So for instance, one of the reasons why I know what you're saying is true is it was true in Jesus' day. Think about the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus couldn't ask these questions in front of his Pharisee buddies. In fact, John 12, 42 and 43 said many of the Pharisees even believed in his name, but because of fear of being put out of the synagogue, losing their place, losing their place socially, many did not confess him. So you can see the tribal um, boundaries being set. The, um, The fear there. And so a lot of people are saying, oh, well, people are deconstructing for street cred or to be accepted. Well, there's a lot of people who are not deconstructing and not asking questions so they could be accepted in their camps, too. Wow, that's a great point. And so it goes both ways. Okay. Um, so what do you call Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night? What do you call a Pharisee? like listening to the words of Jesus 
watching him rethinking all of it, not being able to ask that question with his, with his Pharisee buds, but under the guise of, of night, right. Um, going to him and having a private conversation. What do you call Paul rethinking everything? What do you call John the Baptist on one hand saying, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. I'm unfit to tie his sandals. Stop following me. Start following him. 11 chapters later, or in the 11th chapter, I should say, um, I think it's, I think it's Matthew 11. He's in jail and he's like, he's like, tell some of his disciples, Hey, go and ask him if he's actually the one, or if we should start looking for another. And he's doubting and wrestling with something he was so sure of. And so confident of when he kicked off his cousin's ministry in those early days, what do we call that? And I think the biblical term for that is repentance. And something that is not being talked about in this whole conversation, we're labeling it deconstruction. And some camps are seeing it as good and necessary. It's what makes you accepted in some camps and other camps are calling it bad and it should be avoided at all costs. But no one's talking about the ongoing work of Jesus in repentance. Jesus had a ministry of rethinking. He had a ministry of you've heard it was said. He had a ministry. His very first words in Mark's gospel were um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, change your mind about the king of this kingdom, the nature of this king and what I'm doing in the world. Repent and believe this good news. We need to see a distinction between repentance and a, a taking off things that were handed us in Jesus name, old ideas that were unhelpful and uh, at best unhelpful and at worst hurtful to other people. Um, doctrines, traditions, theologies, whatever. Um, as we press further into Jesus and start to see God's heart for people. And then we begin to reconstruct or rethink or adopt new ways of thinking and new ways of being friends or new ways of ministry. As we press further into Jesus, that is much different than, well, I'm not going to be a Calvinist anymore. I'm not going to be an evangelical anymore because sheesh, that's not popular. Or I'm not going to be an evangelical anymore because people are going to think I voted for Trump. And the last thing I need to, be associated with is being called a racist. So I'm a hashtag evangelical. And I'm not, I don't mean to minimize or lump it all into the same category, but I think there is that there is some of that, but then there are those who are honestly and violently wrestling with things that they were handed in their traditions. Yeah. And coming by it, honestly, it, they didn't just wake up one day and be like, you know what? This will be fun. I'm just mm -hmm. going to go ahead and deconstruct. And, and one of the things I, I want, I want you all to hear is that when someone, if whether it's you or someone, you know, if, if they're asking any of these questions and having a hard time with it, 
or even coming down in a really strong landing place that you don't necessarily agree with, I think we need to reapply compassion into the whole conversation <laughs> in, mm. in a, and compassion in the context of friendship, not in the context of I've got it right. And I'm going to look down at my nose compassionately at you, but in the sense of like, frankly, I'm not sure I care that much how exactly you're going to land the airplane at this moment. What I really believe in right now about Jesus is that he's made it possible for me to just be your friend, to be with you, to love you, to eat a meal with you. I had a friend who, a dear friend, uh, we did a lot of church and life together. And there was one night where he came over and he was sitting on my front porch with me. You know, it's getting dark out. Kids are in bed. Um, we got a drink and, and just sat there for three and a half hours. And he was almost poster child deconstruction. Just mm. everything was getting thrown up in the, just suspended in the air. And he's like, boy, I don't know. <laughs> and if this wasn't coming out in the context of our community and church, he wasn't talking to an official pastor, you know, like I was an official pastor, I guess. But what I'm saying is I had done so much work in our relationship of mm. making sure that I didn't fit the bill of the unsafe leader. Like he was able to have that conversation with me because we'd spent years working through really hard things without pat answers. Mm. And I ended up crying a lot that night, sitting on my front porch with him, not because, oh, my friend doesn't believe in Jesus. Um, and I'm not exactly sure where he's landed necessarily or where he was that night, but I got to tell him, dude, I love you so much. <laughs> and I'm here for you and with you in this conversation. I'll read a book if you want me to. I'll say nothing and listen if you want to. Like, I know it's really hard to feel like you are no longer safe in the community that you built your life inside of. Mm. And how hard it is to be in that place is something I want us to see. <laughs> Just mm. acknowledge it and be like, dude, this is tough. Um, this isn't a guy that I need to like stop hanging out with because he might rub off on me. This isn't sure. a guy that I need to avoid sending my friends to because he might mislead them. Hmm. Um, I don't think either any of those things are true. This was a person who, like, honestly, I told him, like, dude, nothing has changed for me. I have my own questions, but between you and me, our relationship, dude, I'm in. Like, hmm. I don't care where you land this airplane. Um, I'm with you. And I want to keep eating Chicago dogs with you <laughs> yeah dude for sure you know what i'm thinking of when you share that because i think that that's really really beautiful and i think what happens dude in institutions and tribes and communities is in an effort to um really get it right we begin to draw boundaries we draw behavioral boundaries. We draw theological boundaries. We draw doctrinal. network and, you know, friendship boundaries, doctrinal boundaries. And we begin to shift and think that we, we exist to preserve the institution or the community or the purity of the thing. And then people become a means, right. To do that. Or we, we exist to like, see them as ways like, like, let's just make converts of this like right way of thinking and doing and being. And if you don't align or you've been begin to question, 
Well, now you're seen as a threat. And the mm. same way goes for including new people, right? So if, you know, like a neighbor or someone who doesn't believe these things doesn't behave, you know, this way, well, we need to be very cautious on including them because, man, they could be a threat or they could poison the well, you know, so to speak. And then you look at Jesus of Nazareth and he's literally having um, meals with tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes while these Pharisees, right, who are over here preserving, you know, Judaism, the Jewish tradition, um, you know, the, 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 the law and the covenants and the relationship with God that existed in their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is threatening it at every turn. Because yeah. he's including and their arms are folded and their eyebrows are down and they're standing outside watching this saying things like this man eats with and receives sinners as if that's a bad thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God eats with and receives sinners <laughs> like, dude, sweet. <laughs> that means I'm in on this deal. Right. Yeah. Um, and man, just man, just be careful that we don't choose a body of doctrine, a system of theology. Um wanting to so be admired in the eyes of our peers that we can't do what you did on that porch. Hmm. We actually love people. Yeah. Or to think that what I was doing there was not church. Totally. Right. Thousand percent. Because there were voices in my head saying, you got to get him to fix this. We got to get him to believe like, I don't can't, can't let him off this porch without praying or without, convincing him or and i was like i am not listening to those voices right now i don't think that's what's needed because Mm. what i believe about what is finished tells me otherwise Mm. and i think that his and i ended up saying this and this people that are in a space like that sometimes not always i think are closer to a deep faith and trust in god than the people who are standing inside the traditions and the institution mm. and the, the more typical expression of church. Sure. Like I, I honestly think I was like, dude, you, I think you're closer to a more authentic faith in Jesus than, than the rest of us, mm. because you're willing to let God disrupt your assumptions. You're willing to let him help you question things. There's a dude named Jeff Holsclaw. His stuff is really good. And there's a quote from him that I thought we could use. It says, deconstruction is a road to walk with others. It isn't a place to live alone. That's a lot of what we're saying, I think. You know, like we're, it's happening. We're acknowledging it. We're not making a religion out of it. And we're also not saying don't do it because it means you're defecting. (laughs) Like deconstruction is not defection. There's the camp that will really jump down the throat of people deconstructing or they'll just have this like really um, high road, um, like keep seeking God through this, right? Like press in and follow Jesus through your deconstruction. We're really expecting you to, to still land where you were before. <laughs> It's so funny how different phrases like hit people because for me, I was rethinking a lot of things 
I was doing so as I was reading people outside of, you know, my camps, I was in conversation with people who are a little bit further down the road or were like almost in the same place as me. I was having conversations with people who represented old versions of me that would have brought up the same kind of arguments. Right. Um, And I think all that is like very, 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 very good. There was only a few places that were very impossible for me to have the conversation. And they were those gatekeeper types who, well, one was like, well, one having the conversation with my dad was very hard. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people talk who have shifted because, but like prior, like my dad and I would be like on the same page with a bunch of stuff, all kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, mo- like theologically, doctrinally kind of drinking from the same, you know, wells and, you know, all that. And um, to, you know, start to bring up like, Hey man, like I'm starting to think a little bit, a little bit differently about the grace of God. I don't think I'm a Calvinist anymore, man. You know, like I remember that, like I didn't seek out, like here's 10 steps on how to not be a Calvinist anymore. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of like, dang, dude, if I really truly believe God is like this, if I'm really grabbing onto an understanding of this parable, if I'm really starting to see the principle of inclusion before exclusion, man, that doesn't jive with, you know, this other theology that I used to like very pridefully just carry around and try to convert other people to. Yep. And so having those conversations with my dad are pretty, you know, pretty hard, mm-hmm. uh, but we keep having them. And I tell him, I'm like, dad, I still need you to be like my dad, like care about me, you know, care about the way in which, you know, I got here. Dude, at the end of the day, we might not be on the same, you know, page, but do we still have the cornerstone in common, man? Yeah. We still have the cornerstone in common though. The gospel coalition just recently published an article about four causes of deconstruction and, um, they were church hurts and desire to sin, bad teaching and street cred. And I think that there were some legitimate points that were made in that article. Um, I liked, I liked some of it um, because I, um, I, I know, again, not all deconstructions created the same. And I think there are some very selfish reasons um, that people are deconstructing so they can make it convenient for them personally in whatever way. And I know that people do that with the grace of God. So one of the reasons why I'm open to selfishness being at the core of a lot of quote unquote, Oh, I'm here. I'm rethinking. I'm deconstructing in this honest way is because I've seen people use the grace of God to excuse a bunch of stuff in their life. And well, then it comes back to us. Oh, see the grace theology doesn't work. It doesn't make people holy. And it's like, okay, first of all, there's two people in this world. One who are just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And I don't care. And other people who are just looking for excuses, any excuse that they can find to justify themselves in whatever selfish action they want to take. And if someone can find an excuse in the grace of God to go do whatever, um, they're going to do it. That doesn't make grace any less true right it doesn't make it any less real because people have been using all kinds of excuses to do all kinds of 
of things. Um, and so I was, I was open like, yeah, dude, I think some people are like, they just desire to be free from maybe a, a, a nagging guilt over something so they can live however they want. Maybe some people are deconstructing because they never were in the throes of more nuanced conversations about origins or about scripture or about, you know, gender or like whatever the case may be about the church itself. And so maybe they, they found what was their foundation or their understanding of God and scripture and all these kinds of things very easy to walk away from because it wasn't really robust. Totally. I've seen that a million times. And the last one was street cred, which I've already talked about. Yeah, I could mm -hmm. see that at play for sure. Well, I want to be, I want to be welcomed in this camp. And this is what this camp requires in terms of idea, thought, alignment. Well, okay, well, then I guess this is how I need to, you know, adopt it. Um, and then on the other side, in the conservative realm, well, I'm just going to just not entertain any questions about any of my theology, because I still want to be welcomed by my tribe and my camp over here. But I will say this. I agreed with um, that uh, Twitter account or that dude, the, um, the new evangelicals responded to the article and he said, you know, um, well, first of all, this is ridiculous. Why would anyone, you know, uh, deconstruct for street cred? And I'm just like, well, I, I could give you a lot of <laughs> examples. Why? You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so I thought he was kind of equally kind of blind to say, well, that doesn't exist because it does, dude, it does. Totally. Um, yeah. But um, one of the things he said, which I thought was really, really great, was he goes, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us, we didn't choose this. It's actually caused a lot of hurt in our relationships, this deconstruction. And I get that. I have a really, really good friend. I had dinner with her and her husband just this past weekend. And he was pastoring a church and she was deconstructing while he was pastoring. Like in the most deepest way. And she would, did not land in a place that you would applaud or carry, bring her on stage in Protestant churches or in any church, you know, yep. I shouldn't say you, you, you wouldn't, you know, bring her on a stage and let her tell her story and have everybody applaud and where she landed. Um, and I know it was really violent, man. It was really, really hard. It was lots of tears. It was a lot of broken relationships, a lot of hard conversations. So I don't think that what's at the core of this is like purely like the street cred, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. And I think to go back to your point earlier about all the characters in the new Testament, especially who clearly had their moments of taking some, taking some of the things down that they thought they had up. Right. And asking the questions like the whole ministry of Jesus was deconstructing the way everyone thought that they were supposed to relate to God and to each other. Yeah. And who that God really is, is that like, that's the question at the core of, of, of all of it. Um, because how you answer that question determines how you relate to him and how you relate to other people. Yeah. Jesus decided to walk around doing that whole rabbinical uh, lifestyle nomadic. And he taught, in obscure speech <laughs> like parables i mean i'm sure that there were plenty of like 
rabbis doing stuff like that and there's there's all kinds yeah, of he just didn't invent of... parables no totally he told, he told the best ones though yeah they're so good <laughs> but there's something there like and this is a little bit sideways but like our sermon like the way sermons work these days don't look much like that um the the way jesus spoke I don't see that come out in, in moments of preaching. And all that I'm trying to say is like, Jesus disrupted so much, <laughs> so much. Yeah. And I'm like, the whole new Testament is a process of deconstruction in a way. Um, it's, it's causing us to question this picture of God in our minds that we think we're so sure of because Jesus is trying to show us what God is really like. He's trying to show us that God isn't who you think he is. He's not demanding of you what you think he's demanding of you. And he delights in you more than you've ever dared imagine that he delights in you. Mm. And that perspective, like to get there requires an unbelievable amount of dismantling. Mm. At least it has for me. And some of my yeah. friends and some of yeah. people I've seen publicly online and, and whatnot. So I hope that's encouraging because the good news, like you said, it doesn't change. <laughs> like it's good. And it's to use your incredible word. It's gooder. It's gooder. It's gooder, man. Like <laughs> then, then you'll ever be able to believe. Think about that. It's not like you have to somehow get to the place where you really sufficiently believe, and then you can just kind of lean back and be like, okay, now I can just coast. Mm. Um, like, no, we're, we're saying you can just rest in the fact that it's not about getting the answers and getting it right. Jesus is the object of salvation and faith. He's the, the author and finisher of it. Mm. If Jesus authored your faith, and he finishes your faith. Like the question I love wrestling with, with people is, so what does that mean? Your practice of faith is. And watch us all get uncomfortable. <laughs> and like the point of that isn't to, to get them to like a, a new landing place as much as it is to be like that space of that question and that conversation. That's good. That's good stuff. That's, that's areas where, where the things you've held yourself to start to kind of fall away mm. and you start to realize, man, if Jesus really did what he said he did. This is the best news I've ever heard. Again, like there goes, like, we, I don't think we've really, really stopped to contemplate or we don't really grab onto how good this good news is. Yeah. Like we get like, Oh, his death is now my death His resurrection is now my resurrection. Well, we haven't experienced physical death, nor we have, have we experienced like physical resurrection. So it's like, we're almost kind of like, yeah, it's cool. Like I can take yours for not for mine right now. But then when we say, Oh, his life for my life, your faith for my faith, that you actually lived a life of faith for me. Hmm. And as I'm now hidden in you, the faith that you had, the journey of trust that you had, the journey of following the father, listening to the father, all that is now mine. I'm covered in that. 
the way you expressed faith is now my faith. And yep. we're always the, the conversation in Christian circles is always how well are you doing the faith thing? Grade your own spiritual papers. Um, pull out that list in your back pocket, like the Pharisee pulled out into the temple. What does it say? What is your, how, how, how well did you do? How was your faith? So it's good stuff, man. Hopefully this conversation has been an encouragement to you. Um, if you came here looking for better answers and a bow on top of this thing and, you know, for us to remove mystery, um, you know, I, I, I know you're going to leave uh, dissatisfied. Um, but if you if you found some encouragement and you found yourself um, leaning in and pressing a little bit further into into Jesus, um, then I think we did our uh, I think we did our job. Yep. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.